Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Today's show is also brought to you by The Vault at Stock and Barrel in Egan, a collection of specialty and pre-owned firearms for collectors and enthusiasts. Learn more at StockandBarrel.com. Coming up on 527 on this Sunday, September 24th, 2023, welcome everybody to WCCO Outdoors. Yes, Twins win, went a little late thanks to a rain delay. Vikings lose, Gophers lose, but what's really important, it's the duck opener weekend. Waterfall hunting for ducks kicked off yesterday. Uh, Ducks love water, but duck hunters don't always enjoy hunting in the rain. I did hear uh, some folks a little crabby about the fact that they were going to have to get out in fairly wet conditions yesterday, and it was uh, downright downpour, I'm sure, in some places, especially this morning, as folks uh, got out. Uh, since you and I last talked last weekend, I did get out wild racing again, so I spent some time in a wetland myself on the uh, on the wild rice beds and had a good day. Had Got about 120 pounds of rice. Uh, that goes with 80 pounds we got on another day. That sounds like a lot to folks listening, but when you... Uh, refine it, right? When you process the rice, it's actually about half of that, maybe a little, a hair less than half of that. And then when you split it with your partner, well, by golly, you're down to about 50 pounds of rice, uh, which is is still a lot. That will uh, feed my family, and I, I give a lot of it away to coworkers and family friends for over the holidays, also. Uh, but saw a lot of wildlife, uh, saw a lot of ducks, multiple species. Uh, so that early teal season did not drive all the ducks out of the state. Uh, so that's some good news, and I suspect uh, the guys and gals who got out yesterday had uh, had a good time. A great show coming at you. Uh, we're going to get, I think, most of it in. Uh, first off, I think, did I mention last week? I can't even remember if we mentioned it because uh, it happened last weekend. We have a new federal duck stamp winner, a gentleman named Chuck Black won it. He's from Montana. Well, by golly, i got to give uh, Bob Timmons at the Star Tribune credit. uh, In Friday's paper, he uh, revealed that Chuck Black, yeah, he might be in Montana now, but he's originally from Stillwater. And, uh, hey, we're parochial here. We we, we love the local connection. Uh, And he was indeed inspired by, like, the Hauptman brothers, other Minnesota artists. And so, uh, Chuck, uh, I'm going to interview Chuck today uh, about his uh, federal duck stamp win. Million-dollar duck, they call it, right? I mean, uh, when you win that federal duck stamp, it really puts you in an upper echelon of wildlife artists around the country. So we're excited to have a new young artist that won that, and he hails from Minnesota originally. We're also going to talk about a deer observation survey that the Minnesota DNR has cooking uh, we've got a DNR staffer, Tyler Obermoller, who will join us and talk a little bit about that. If you're a deer hunter and you're out uh, and you see wildlife, the uh, the DNR wants to know what you're seeing. They want to find out uh, what's going on out there, and we got a lot of eyes in the environment when we're out deer hunting, and therefore uh, the DNR is trying to collect some data. It's really, really easy, so uh, Tyler will tell us how to do that. Uh, next week, I, w- I want to just talk about that a little bit. I've got a couple fun things next week. Uh, we will have uh, uh, Joe Albert will join us. He's uh, with the DNR Division of Enforcement. We're going to talk to him about some of the canine units. They've got five canine units working with state conservation officers now. We'll talk to him about that. And then we had another big story that broke us at OutdoorNews.com. A gentleman named Leroy Purrier of Rochester shot a big deer. It looks like a Boone and Crockett deer down in Fillmore County. Uh, I believe it was last Monday that he took it. Or you know, I take that back. It was last Saturday. Uh, it was on the uh, the the opener, the uh, the opener for the for archery season. He took it with a crossbow, of course, which 
if you love listen to the show, you know that's now legal. Uh, so he got out and got a great buck, and it looks like it's going to be a Boone and Crockett record trophy deer. So pretty cool. Uh, if you were listening to the news update, you heard Susie Jones talk a little bit about how Governor Wallace has taken responsibility for this Aaron Dupree situation. Uh, uh, she has withdrawn her appointment to the director of the Office of Cannabis Management. And l- l- hearing that story the past couple of days reminded me of something similar that happened back in 99 Old-timers like me remember it, old outdoor writers remember it, when Jesse Ventura appointed a guy to be the head of the Department of Natural Resources. It was just you know, within probably a week or so of Jesse taking the job. And it turned out that the gentleman had a couple, they weren't serious, but he had a couple fishing game violations. I, I don't remember specifically what they were, if it was kind of an over-limit of crappies or something like that. I don't recall it being a big deal, but he had a couple of them. And the media found out about that, and it was a lot of pressure. And a couple assistant DNR commissioners resigned. They said they didn't want to, you know, they they didn't they didn't want to be involved. You know, they thought that set a bad example. I, I should point out, I believe both those commissioners probably would have they, they serve at the pleasure of the commissioner with a new commissioner coming in. They probably would have been gone anyway. But that uh, the gentleman who Jesse appointed decided to resign. He he decided to step away, and then Jesse hired uh, Al Garber uh, to be his DNR commissioner. Uh, Garber had been an FBI agent and was not, as I recall, Jesse went out of his way to say he's not a hunter and an angler. Uh, so he didn't. He, there was no way he had any hunting and fishing violations on his record, um, and that was that. Uh, but it it uh, it's just kind of by uh, very few people probably even remember that anymore. Uh, some old outdoor writers like myself uh, recall, and I thought it was worth uh, remembering and sharing here again. Why don't we get in a break? Uh, we will be back. We're going to talk to this gentleman that won the federal duck stamp. I'm very excited. His name is Chuck Black. So don't go away. More WCCO outdoors after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline on this Sunday, September 24th, wrapping up the opening weekend of waterfall hunting here in our fine state. Hey, I'm really excited uh, to have our next guest join us. This man won a national contest. He doesn't live here in Minnesota anymore, but he still carved out a few minutes to chat with us on today's broadcast. He is the winner of the 2023 Federal Duck Stamp Contest. This is the artwork that will be on the 2024-2025 Federal Duck Stamp. Uh, His name is Chuck Black. He hails from Belgrade, Montana, but originally from Minnesota. Chuck, thank you so much for, for joining us on the broadcast. Thanks, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Well, I must admit, Chuck, when I first saw the press release from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service last weekend, and it said someone from Montana had won the uh, the duck stamp contest, I thought, well, hey, the uh, the streak of Minnesotans has been broken. I guess technically it has, yeah. but I got to give Bob Timmons credit at the Star Tribune. He had a nice story on Friday uh, profiling you, talk, uh, talking about your Minnesota roots. You originally hail from Stillwater, huh? Yep, that's uh, that's correct. Still get back from time to time, but I think at the my heart, I'm still a Minnesotan. So you grew up enjoying the outdoors here uh, in the Upper Midwest and in Canada. It sounds like you spent some time in Quetico. Uh, yeah. But did you do some waterfowling? Are are you a waterfowler now? Yeah. So you know, when I grew up, my dad always had us in the duck blind, and he would take us out once a year to North Dakota. You know, that's really where I was introduced to not only just hunting, but waterfowl and the stamp, of course, and just to appreciate, you know, what 
the conservation behind all of it did. And I don't do a lot of, of waterfall hunting anymore. It's kind of turned into more about the experience for me and my okay. art, it, you know, takes up a lot of my time, of course. So it sounds like after high school, you went out to University of North Dakota, majored in wildlife biology. You did some seasonal work for a, a number of uh, natural resources agencies, including uh, the Minnesota DNR, it sounds like, right? Yeah, that's correct. I, the Minnesota DNR was actually uh, my first, that was an internship when I was still in college. Uh, and then that led to the National Park Service. And I started to meet some people in the industry and, you know, did the seasonal work for uh, about six years. And it sounds like in the back of your mind the whole time, you were hoping to maybe get back to something that you loved, you know, as a youth, which is drawing and painting and becoming a wildlife artist. And you tackled that. You decided to go pro in, uh, about eight years ago. Is that right? Yeah, a little over eight years ago. And it, it was a rocky start for sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I had... I had about a year's worth in savings uh, ready to go, and I burned through that pretty quick. And then, you know, at one point, I just kind of realized that I had to make art a lot faster. And so I started to, to move into like smaller, more affordable drawings, and I would try to sell them on eBay. So there was several years in the beginning when I made this transition where it was... Uh, it, you know, it didn't quite feel like career or something sustainable, um, but, you know, slowly but surely and social media helped a lot. I gained a lot of traction and that, you know, eventually I found a, a collector base that supported me. And is most of your art focused on the outdoors? Is it is it waterfowl and other wild creatures or do you do other types of artwork, too, that you sell to help pay the bills? Originally, I did a lot of pet portraits, uh, especially I okay. think I, that goes back to high school is kind of when I started that. And so in that same time, yeah, that's that was a big help in what I was doing. And custom work just in itself, that was probably a big part of my, my work schedule. But then fortunately, uh, in the last few years, I've been kind of able to move away from that and focus on the things I love. And uh, I would say that I'm really interested in our relationship with animals, the environment around us, and kind of how we connect with that. And so I'm really interested in kind of the broader outdoor subject of, you know, perhaps, uh, well, for example, right now, I'm really interested in cabins, farming, ranching, and, you know, how to incorporate that you know, portray our relationship with the wild. I mean, Terry Redlin was, you know, a master at, at sure. that sort of thing. And so mm -hmm. that really inspires me. Well, I want to talk specifically about the federal duck stamp in a couple of minutes here, but in between, it sounds like you've been entering other duck stamp contests. You've actually won a couple state stamps, uh, Colorado and California. Huh? How many, yeah. how many states have you, have you entered their waterfall stamp contest over the years? A number of them. I've, I've entered the Nevada and North Carolina and a, a few others. I did do the Minnesota when I was still a resident uh, a long time ago. But when I won the, the Colorado, that was really, that was in 2013. And that kind of got me thinking more seriously about, you know, mm. what I could do with the artwork. And, and I guess that, you know, eventually led to, to me, you know, leaving the wildlife field. What birds were featured on the Colorado and California stamps? What kind of waterfowl? Uh, was the greater scop bluebills okay. for the mm -hmm. Colorado, and then the green wing teal was the awesome. California. Yeah, uh, some folks call those uh, those greater scop broadbills. That was kind of a new term I heard recently. I have heard that. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other story. 
Hey, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Jerisline, and we are chatting with Chuck Black, the Belgrade, Montana gentleman. He originally hails from Minnesota, who recently won the 2023 Federal Duck Stamp Contest. This is artwork that will be featured on the 2024 to 2025 Federal Duck Stamp. Now, uh, Chuck, the bird, uh, it's not like all three guys in, in, in the top three positions, uh, first, second, and third, all painted artwork of northern pintails. Were there other species that were eligible, or was everybody filing pintails this year? I know they, they do have specific species every year. Yeah, well, they, they have picked one or, or two species in the past when they want a certain duck uh, to fill the gap, but it's usually five species eligible. Why did you choose the, the northern pintail? Well, we took a reference trip, my wife and I, back in 2020 in the spring uh, to a local wildlife refuge. And while we were there for a couple of days, we had noticed a pintail was sitting on this very small pothole. And he'd sit there every morning and then you'd see the hen with him. I assume that the hen was probably nesting nearby and he would wait for her. And so we thought on the final morning, why not try laying prone on the shore and see if he comes back again? Uh, and we had known they they announced the eligible species usually two to three years ahead of time. So I knew that eventually here the pintail would be eligible, mm. and so that's okay. why we decided to to see what we could do. And sure enough, that that next morning he flew in right over our heads and landed five or ten yards out, and we got to watch him whistle and you know kind of go through his whole routine. So uh, took a lot of photos and video, and then. Uh, when that was over, I just knew that the, the next time it was eligible, I had to figure out something from this experience. What were you going for in the artwork? Uh, what do folks think about when they paint that? Is it about, because it's it's first and foremost a stamp. It's So that makes mm-hmm. it different in terms of size and dimensions and maybe, you know, how large uh, you make the bird, correct? Because you can't, you can't be tiny. You can't be a, a flock of tiny ducks in the distance because right. that doesn't work on a stamp. You put a lot of that kind of thought into it? Yeah, yeah I did. And that's a good question. I, in the past, I, I don't think I was quite as understanding when it came to composition and and Mm. what pleases the eye and so this year I really wanted to take it seriously and so I started I've been getting really interested in you know just art history and more of the maybe the academia side of art and trying to figure out you know what really would please the eye and kind of make a good first impression and so a lot of thought went into composition. I came up with uh, numerous designs and just kind of thinking where I want the viewer's eye to focus on. Um, so you'll notice there's a almost like a, a superficial spot of light that kind of is behind the reeds and behind the duck. And, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, where that light would be coming from. But in my mind, I thought that would really keep the viewer's eye down on the bird and then the same thing around the head, uh, that just that light that's behind just kind of leads you yeah. into the duck. So, it, yeah, there was a lot of strategy behind that. And, you know, really just my hope was just to catch catch the attention of the judges and, and have it stick. So for the first time ever, there were, what, five or six judges. The first time ever, it was an all-women's panel of judges. So that, mm-hmm. that was new for, for the contest. I presume you were watching it while it was streaming. Uh, there were it was yes. down in Des Moines at uh, Drake University. There were 199 entries, 24 uh, in the final judging. I got to figure your heart's pounding pretty good as you're watching that that final judging. 
Yeah, I almost, I mean, while it was happening, it's kind of the same feeling. I thought like, you know, why am I putting myself through this? Because after <laughs> the, I had never actually made it into the, the final round. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and after the, the second round, I had tied for first with two other paintings. Oh, and wow. I just thought like, you know, anything but a tie. I, I'd right. rather, I feel like I'd almost <laughs> rather be behind at that point just oh, to man. lower my anxiety <laughs> levels. But sure, uh, it was exciting. I mean, when it actually, I, I think mine was the first up of those three that tied in the final and I had scored a 23 and then the next one had scored a 22 and my, you know, I just, I got the shakes and I couldn't oh. take it. And it was like a uh, I want to say it was a half hour before they finally got to that last entry that had scored well. And so you have to sit there and <laughs> and wait and watch. And yeah, and then they scored a point lower even. So it's I'll just incredible. Yeah. Fantastic. How many times have you entered the federal stamp before, Chuck? I believe this is my 10th entry. I okay. first started entering wow. in 2009. And then, uh -huh. you know, and that was, that was part of as I transitioned to try and make this a full-time career, it's hard to devote that much time and energy on something that most likely won't pay off. And so in recent years, I started entering less because I just didn't feel like maybe I had the, the right reference or the right ideas, you know, and so that was, I was shifting my focus on more practical ways to, to survive as an artist. Well, that is a testimony to hard work and due diligence that you've entered. You know, this was your 10th time. I'm sure you learned a lot. Those, those previous nine. That's fantastic. Yeah. I understand you've, uh, Joe Hauptman reached out to you and I got to ask, did you feel a little more confident with two of the three Hauptmans being ineligible this year? I, I, that, that was, that's always a conversation point. It's like, well, I think this is your year. You got to get in so you can get in the, you know, have your turn or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, I mean, it's so surreal. Cause when I was a kid, I used to go to the art galleries, the print galleries and the shopping malls. And, and, you know, it would always be the Hotman brothers and to be at that in that same realm right now, it's just, it's really surreal. Well, and well-deserved. And uh, the Hellmans are great Thank guys. I, I'm glad to, mm -hmm. to hear that uh, that Joe has reached out to you, and mm -hmm. I hope you, you get to know those guys some more because I've, yeah. I have over the years, and they're, they're wonderful, wonderful guys. Yep. Chuck, uh, you just seem like a fantastic person. I'm so glad to hear you won this thing. I'm glad about the, the Minnesota connections. Uh, reading Bob Timmons' piece in Star Tribune, sounds like you're enjoying a little R&R &R in, the, what, the Yellowstone area here this week? I am. Yep. Got a couple of buddies up, but uh, coming out and we're going to hit the trail and do some camping and backpacking. And uh, it's my favorite time of year. So oh. the weather's finally cooling off. Lost some time of year back here in Minnesota too. Well, again, yep. congratulations. Uh, you know, what's next? I guess folks can go to fws.gov or outdoornews.com. They can see the artwork. Uh, they can read all about you. Do you have a website where folks can see some of your artwork on display? I do. Uh, you know, you can just search Chuck Black Art and you'll find it anywhere. That's the best way. That sounds very easy. Chuck, thanks so yep. much for joining us. Best of luck. Enjoy some well-deserved rest and relaxation. And we'll look forward to watching your career continue to blossom. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. All right. That was Chuck Black, the 2023 winner of the Federal Duck Stamp. Really appreciate him carving out time to join us on the broadcast. Let's get into break. More of the program after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline, Managing Editor-Publisher of Outdoor News on this Sunday, September 24th, 2023. We are going to check in now with a Minnesota Department of Natural Resources research scientist out of Medalia. Tyler Obermuller is joining us now. And uh, Tyler, good to see you. You're spending a lot of time in the field these days. What are you up to? 
Yeah, I, I do spend a lot of time in the field uh, doing a number of projects, deer observation survey. We got some camera trap work, and then I'm a, a lead PI on the fawn survival and movement study in south central Minnesota as well. Well, that sounds fascinating. How long is that study going for, Tyler? Uh, we started that study in 2021, uh, GPS collaring a number of uh, newborn fawns and, and following them around and, and seeing how they're doing, uh, what's ca- what are the causes of mortality and, and uh, what habitats, what bed sites they're using. When will that conclude? So we've been doing this for three years, um, and we plan to uh, capture for two additional years, so for 2023 and 2024. Gotcha. Well, then I'd say late next year, I'll be giving you a call, see if you got any conclusions from that one. Let's talk about a study that you're asking the public, deer hunters, to get involved with. Now, just this past weekend on September 16th, the archery deer hunting season already began, so presumably there's some hunters that can already participate in this, but uh, a lot more Guys will be guys and gals will be getting out soon in coming weeks. Here we've got uh, early antler list, and then of course the the general opener in November. You're asking deer hunters to share their wildlife observations, not just deer. What in, any critter out there? That's right. Uh, we are asking the hunters to uh, go to our website. They can find where the survey is, and they just while they're hunting, uh, they can re- uh, record you know what day they've been out there, uh, what deer permit area they're in, um, how many hours they've hunted. Uh, which type which type of season they're in so archery firearm muzzleloader you know where they were hunting where they were sitting and then deer observations so we can look at um, buck uh, adult does uh, fawns and then um, whether if you're not sure you can also record that and then yeah we're also recording a number of different species uh, as well so turkey bear coyote bobcat wolf fisher uh, gray fox and badger so you're doing this statewide, and this is, uh, what did you tell me off here, the third or fourth year that you're uh, you're into this study? Yeah, this is the, I think, fourth year, yep. Fourth year, and how many more years is this one going, Tyler? So this is a project that we're, uh, we've been doing for, you know, as, as I mentioned, four years. We're looking at actually continuing this on uh, into the future. So it's a, a great way for us to help manage our uh, deer population. So the Minnesota deer, you know, they set, uh, Minnesota DNR sets their, Populations using a harvest-based projection model, um, simply using the the harvest from the previous years, using environmental variables to set um, future limits. Um, but you know, there's a lot that can happen in that time frame. So we want some additional indices um, to make sure our model matches what is actually happening on the landscape. So we have several things we could use. You know, we have road-based surveys, aerial surveys that we've used in the past, but those are kind of costly, and also we can't do that statewide. Uh, while this survey we can complete annually statewide. Uh, and we can get a great sample size because there's so many hunters in Minnesota. And that can help us increase our confidence in what's actually happening on the landscape. So, I mean, really practically speaking, you know, c- cutting to the chase there a little bit, you've got hunters, you've got other citizens, people out there who sometimes question how many deer we have on the landscape, if our estimates are correct. And this this study is basically another check in the system to try to you know verify some of your other models. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, sometimes it sounds weird, but we don't have a good handle on whether in certain deer permit areas, the population may be increasing or decreasing because there's just so many factors, environmental, vehicle collisions. You just don't know what's actually happening. Disease could be happening in the landscape. So this really gives us a second check to make sure um, what's happening in the landscape is matching what we're seeing uh, in our models. And then come uh, the time when we set our harvest limits, uh, we can look at those data uh, the biologists come together, the managers come together, and we can set those harvest limits uh, for each deer permit area. 
You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerislein, and we're chatting with Tyler Obermuller. He is a DNR research scientist out of Medallia, and we're chatting with him a little bit about a wildlife observation study that the DNR is conducting, asking deer hunters to submit some of their information that they see a field involving all sorts of wildlife. So, Tyler, like you say, we're into year four on this study so far, is are there any results? Does it seem like it has helped verify or solidify uh, some of the other modeling that's occurring in terms of, of deer population modeling, or, or have you already you know had to tweak things a little bit based on some of this data that you're receiving from the public? Yeah, we're uh, we've been using this data almost immediately, so it's actually um, really well used and really really well really well received uh, by our. Uh, biologists for modeling. So they've been using that in the, um, in the actual model now, and that's allowing them to validate uh, what's happening in the landscape. And, and they're using that when they're setting those harvest limits. So any surprises out there with with deer? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it uh, solidifying what you already know, but maybe uh, any interesting sightings of, of other wildlife on the landscape? Any surprises out there? Moose in odd places, things like that? Um, I think the thing that I would say is, has been most surprising is the um, frequency and distribution of wild turkeys in the state. It's just been a, a number of, of sightings a lot higher than we expected. So that's one of the, maybe one of the takeaways um, that I've seen in the last couple of years. I tell you what, I see turkeys everywhere. Uh, it sure seems know, like that, yeah. You know, I, I live in the metro and I'm just amazed at how many turkeys, you know, I see it's 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 like all the time. I'm driving down the road, taking my daughter home from cross country or something and, and you know, from some west metro suburb and it's like oh look there's a there's a hen and three or four poults right there in the ditch i'm hearing that all over the place and and i i have written a time or two that i'm a little worried about turkey populations we've seen them decline in other states but i don't know we must still be on the upswing here in minnesota yeah it sure seems like that i mean i live i live in southwest minnesota that's where i grew up and we never really saw them when i was growing up and now i i see them quite frequently so any charismatic megafauna in, in strange places, bears, wolves, moose, anything like that, Tyler? Uh, not not too much that I see, no. Bears are sometimes like, you get a sighting a little bit farther south than you expect, um, um, but that that just sometimes happens. You have a, a bear or, or a wolf that might roam a little farther south than usual. I know we've got a few bears in southeast Minnesota now. I think there's yep. a small population cooking down there, and I presume maybe some of those are popping up on some of these wildlife sightings. Tyler, if folks want to participate in this study, how do they do that? Yeah, you can go um, on our website and uh, go into Whitetail Deer uh, Hunter Field Log. You can type that into Google, um, and that'll pop you to a uh, website where you can click on log and entry. You can go on our Facebook page. Uh, we, we're kind of sending out a number of news releases that can get you to a website. And then once you get to that uh, entry, you can just log your entries on your phone or you can record those on a piece of paper and you can log them later on your computer um, after you get out of the field. So yeah, you can do this on a mobile device. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I found the quickest way to, to get to this was just go to mndnr.gov and search wildlife observation study. Yeah. Uh, then I think it was the very first uh, item that popped up after I searched. So you click there, it's easy to fill out. And it looks like the online questionnaire is available until January 15th, 2024. So this is uh, something that you're fairly specifically trying to track here during this hunting season, it sounds like, huh? Yeah, we track that, that until the end of the hunting season. We get those, and then we pretty much right away um, start cleaning the data, analyzing the data, and we do a lot of our population modeling um, come March. So a uh, pretty quick turnaround when we actually use the information for the modeling purposes. 
Are there any reports or is this data from the first four years available on the website? Can folks see some yep. of these observations? Yep, you can go on our website uh, and go to the report section. Uh, I don't know exactly where it's at. And, and they do have an annual report that we write uh, for this survey. So one more time, I'll encourage folks, go to mndnr.gov, simply search wildlife observation study. You should be able to get right to the link and uh, and participate in this. And uh, it's Anything goes, right? I mean, deer, turkeys, bears, fishers, even birds. Do you want to know about those? We just record uh, turkey, bear, coyote, uh, bobcat, wolf, fisher, gray fox, and badger. Uh, those okay. are the non-deer species that uh, we record. And then we record, as I mentioned, um, the different, whether it's a fawn and then adult, uh, antler deer or adult uh, antlerless. So you're looking, for, you're looking for mammals here mostly, it sounds like. Yep. So. All right. Well, again, participate in this until January 15th if you're out there hunting. Thanks a lot, Tyler, for uh, the explanation, and good luck with the study, Emil. We'll check in with you in a year or two, see how uh, some of the results are coming out. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. That was Tyler Obermuller, DNR Research Scientist from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. The agency is uh, looking for you to share your wildlife observations as you're out deer hunting this fall. Let's get in a break. We will have more of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830, final segment of this week's broadcast. I am Rob Jerislein, Managing Editor, Publisher of Outdoor News. Thank you for joining us this week on the broadcast. I want to thank, I had a couple great guests there, uh, including Chuck Black, the gentleman who won the Federal Duck Stamp last weekend, and a uh, great young man. I think everybody, I hope everybody enjoyed that uh, that interview. I sure enjoyed uh, chatting with him. A couple news topics I thought we would wrap up this week's broadcast with. One, the Howard Vincent Wildlife Management Area, or I, I stand corrected, Waterfall Production Area. There's a difference. WPAs are federal. WMAs are state. The uh, the feds, uh, I'm sure there was some state money involved also, uh, dedicated this 195-acre new WPA uh, on the north side of Spirit Lake, Iowa. The property, I believe, is technically in Minnesota, accessible uh, from Minnesota, but uh, it's right on the border there with Spirit Lake, Iowa, uh, which are very important you know, lakes for a multitude of reasons, for fishing, for, wa- I'm sure, waterfall using. Down in Iowa, I think they call those the Iowa Great Lakes, don't they? Those <laughs> those three lakes down there that uh, are pretty average size, I think, for most lakes in Minnesota. But nonetheless, when you're in Iowa, I guess you, you take what you can get. But Howard was the uh, longtime CEO of St. Paul Base Pheasants Forever, He's alive and well. Lots of times we we name WPAs and WMAs after people who have are no longer with us, conservationists who are no longer with us. But Howard is still alive and well. He's just retired. He retired from uh, Pheasants Forever. Well, actually, it was earlier this year, right? Uh, it was right after Pheasant Fest in February. I think was his last uh, kind of official event. Uh, that was quite a party. Anybody that was there. So congratulations to Howard. Uh, well deserved a conservationist. Uh, PF employee for like, what, 40 years? I think going back to the late 1980s, a volunteer and then an, an employee. He was the, uh, I think he was a CFO for a number of years and then the CEO. So well-deserved. Congratulations. Uh, nice chunk of property. Not too far, by the way, I noticed on the map, you know, there's a lot of these WPAs and WMAs out there that are named after folks that, yeah, you, know, you probably don't know a whole lot about, let's face it. But I saw uh, there's another property near this named after a gentleman named Jerry Schatzko. Uh, Jerry worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for many years, passed before his time. I, I don't even know if Jerry was 60 when we lost him. 
Uh, he was uh, a, a refuge manager down uh, in in my neck of the woods, uh, the the, uh, the excuse me Mississippi River National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, my dad worked on the Winona District and worked for Jerry. Great guy, hardcore cons, unapologetic conservationist. I always admired that about Jerry, and so. Uh, when he passed before his time, I was glad that they named the WPA after him. And I'm glad to see it's now part of a, what you might call a complex, kind of this this conservation area complex down on the Iowa border, where Lord knows, with the intensive agriculture and, and just intense land use we've got down there, we need all the conservation help uh, that we can get in that neck of the woods. Well, hey, I'm out of time. We're going to join 60 Minutes in Progress, then stay tuned at 7 o'clock, for uh, Gerilyn Steele, Steele talking, Gerilyn in the house. So that should be a good time. Thank you, Jonathan Lowe, for rolling with it. Thank you to all the listeners and my guests who have been with us for the past one hour. Everybody have a great week out of doors. We'll talk to you again on this station in seven days. Rob Dreesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.